Hello everyone, my name is Afif Akafash. And I'm Katie Mugan. And welcome to another episode of the Baby Tribe Podcast, where today's episode's colour is... Yellow. We're talking all about jaundice. So... And I think this is really pertinent to most parents because it is something that every parent fears and we hear it spoken about a lot. I see most babies when they arrive home slightly yellow and parents think, oh my God, my baby's really jaundiced and there's fear that's attributed to it. So we're going to break it down and talk all about it today. Well, yes, exactly, because jaundice is extremely common and you could argue that almost every single baby born will have a certain degree of jaundice over the first few days to a few weeks after delivery. I'm going to tell you what jaundice is and what causes it. Neonatal jaundice is a condition where a newborn skin and the whites of their eyes appear yellow. And that's because of a molecule called bilirubin that is present in the bloodstream. So where does bilirubin come from? Well, bilirubin is a yellow substance and it is present in red blood cells. And it's usually released into the bloodstream when the red blood cells are broken down in the body. Now, all our red blood cells have a certain lifespan and they get broken down and our bone marrow makes new red blood cells. And when the red blood cells sort of broken down, the bilirubin is normally released into the blood and generally the liver mops up the bilirubin, attaches another couple of molecules to it to make it more soluble. And then it gets excreted into our gut and into our urine. And that's how we get rid of it. Why do babies get jaundiced? Well, they get jaundiced because the turnover of their red blood cells in the first few weeks of life is quite fast. It's much faster than adults. So they produce extra bilirubin over the first few days to few weeks of life. And on top of that, the newborns have an immature liver. And as a result, there is a lower uptake of bilirubin and lower metabolism of bilirubin. So it's not broken down as quickly as it happens in adults. And also some babies may have a delay in the passage of meconium, which is the initial kind of tarry stool. And if that doesn't happen, the bilirubin that is already present in the meconium can be reabsorbed back into the system. So all of these things lead to the development of jaundice. Now it's important to emphasize that we term this jaundice physiological jaundice, meaning that all babies will have a certain degree of it. It usually peaks over the first three to four days of life and then slowly goes away. And it's important to emphasize that healthcare providers checking your baby and discharging your baby before um, they go home and doing their kind of discharge check will always ensure that your baby's jaundice levels are acceptable before they go home. Some hospitals do a visual inspection and some hospitals can also do a quick skin test to give you a level of jaundice that they can index. Why do we actually worry about jaundice? Because in most cases, jaundice is harmless and it's a temporary condition. It is self-resolving and it goes away. But the reason we check for jaundice and you hear the conversation about jaundice is that in some rare circumstances, the jaundice levels can become extremely high in babies, so much so that they can actually end up crossing into the brain and causing brain damage. And that is why We are very careful about assessing your baby's jaundice levels before they go home. Now, just to emphasize that that is very, very rare. And because of the checks that are in place to assess your baby's jaundice levels, the occurrence of that condition is extremely rare. One final thing I'd like to say before I hand over to Katie is that jaundice can sometimes be caused by more serious conditions. And those include an infection in the baby can make the jaundice levels go higher. And if the mother's baby and blood are incompatible, 
Sometimes the mother can produce antibodies against the baby's red blood cells, increasing the rate of their breakdown and turnover, thereby increasing the level of jaundice or bilirubin in the baby's system. Sometimes there are inherited abnormalities in baby's blood cells, making them break down more easily. And finally, the babies can also have some liver problems that can lead to the development of jaundice. But these conditions usually cause the jaundice level to go extremely high. The physiologic jaundice that we talk about um, doesn't really lead to elevated levels of jaundice. We can deal with these conditions if we identify them. So I don't want parents to worry. We always check for those conditions before the baby goes home. And we have a treatment called phototherapy where we can put babies under ultraviolet lights to change the bilirubin from being insoluble to being soluble making it easier for the body to get rid of it. So we can address that easily in the hospital. It gets rid of the lovely tan. Yes, absolutely. It's it's a yellowish tinge. It's not a tan. So a lot of the time the parents think, oh, look, my baby has a lovely hue to their skin. And I usually tell them, no, they're going to end up being a pasty Irish lad, just like, just like all the other ones. because. And it can depend, like you'll often find babies that are of darker skin colour. It can be more difficult sometimes to gauge the jaundice level. Um, so looking at the eye, white of the eyes, the palms of the hands and the feet can also be a good indicator too. Yeah, that's a good point. And we understand that as a parent, it can be scary for you to see your baby developing jaundice. Katie's going to break down the two kind of commonest causes of jaundice that we usually come across in the community and, and early before discharge. And I think it's important to say that sometimes as healthcare providers, we need to uh, choose our, I suppose, choice of language more appropriately because we can put the fear of God in parents um, with regards to jaundice and how it can impact their babies. And I'm finding more and more parents jump for formula top ups when necessarily that isn't uh, and it's not a necessity at this situation. Um, again, as I always say, it always depends on the situation, but just making sure that you're informed, that you can make an educated uh decision regarding a treatment plan with your doctors uh, can help. Yes. And I'd like to jump in and debunk a myth. You cannot flush jaundice with formula. So if your baby is well hydrated and gaining weight well while breastfeeding, then stopping breastfeeding and adding formula will not expedite the disappearance of the yellow tinge in your baby. Well said, Afif. As I always say to my parents that if your baby is gaining weight very well and they are breastfed, then this is not a breastfeeding issue or a feeding issue. This is solely related to the excretion of the bilirubin from the bloodstream and that will happen with time. Great. So tell us about the suboptimal intake jaundice. You actually informed me, Afif, this morning that it is also called breastfeeding jaundice. And I this is di different to breast milk jaundice. So this can be due to newborns not receiving enough um, or optimal uh, breast milk intake. And it can lead to elevated bilirubin levels. And this is due to the increased reabsorption of bilirubin in the intestines. Inadequate milk intake also can delay the pass, so the passing of your meconium, that big black tarry stool, which also contains large amounts of bilirubin. And then this can be transferred back into the infant circulation. Yeah. So the thing to emphasize here that it is, it is a volume issue rather yes. than breast milk issue itself. So in a baby where we feel are not getting enough breast milk for whatever reason, be it, you know, delayed in the, in, in the coming of milk or poor attachment and poor technique. What is needed is not switching to formula, but adequate breastfeeding support to make sure that Absolutely. the baby transfers milk and the baby remains hydrated. So the answer is not to automatically 
switch to formula or supplement with formula. An assessment of what is impeding adequate transfer of milk and milk volumes needs to be done first. However, if despite all of this, the issue does not resolve, then yes, top-ups either with supplemented breast milk if the mother can express her pump or with formula top-ups is the thing to go to next. It is really important that if you are advised to top up, that you do pump in exchange for it in order to protect and promote your milk supply. So you're right, Afif, in some situations, we do need to bring in a supplementation. If we don't have breast milk to hand or there's no donor milk available, you're looking at a formula uh, supplement in addition. But it is most important that a mother is educated on how to protect supply. Yeah, and it's important to emphasise as well that babies that are formula fed can also develop jaundice because the natural history of it, that's the, there's that word again, natural history. Then So the natural history of it is that jaundice tends to increase over the first three to four days of age. It usually peaks on day four to day five, and then it begins to subside as the turnover of red cells goes down and the maturity of the liver goes up so that the processing of bilirubin improves. Okay, so the next we're going to talk a little bit about breast milk jaundice. And this often occurs kind of in the second or later weeks of life. Um, I know my third was like a little Simpson um, for quite a while, even though there was no treatment required. He did have what we know, uh, what we call as breast milk jaundice. Um, The exact reason this happens, it's actually quite unknown. There's no research to state for definite what caused it. But it's believed that there's a substance in the mother's milk that inhibits the ability for the infant's liver to process the bilirubin. Yes. And I want to add two things to that. First of all, if your baby has prolonged jaundice or jaundice that is obvious beyond the first week of age, it is important to get a healthcare provider to have a look because you want to make sure that other conditions are ruled out. So normally what that entails is a quick check of the jaundice levels. If they are below a certain level, then you can be certain then it is um, breast milk jaundice. However, if it's above a certain level, then further blood tests need to be done to rule out other causes. One important cause that can sometimes get missed is an underactive thyroid gland. That can be a reason for prolonged jaundice as well. So it's important to get your baby checked out. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I do remember going back in at six weeks to the baby clinic and they did a set of bloods on him and they checked the liver profile as well just to make sure that was all fine. But he was perfect. Yeah, and that's to emphasize that we are not checking for breast milk jaundice, we are ruling out other causes so that we can label it as breast milk jaundice. The second thing I want to say is that there is some data to suggest that prolonged exposure to low levels of bilirubin may not be a bad thing for the baby. There is some scientific evidence demonstrating that bilirubin can act as an antioxidant and it can act as a protector from infection as well. So breast milk jaundice may be a normal, natural way of protecting your baby against infection over the first few weeks of life. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, because I had only said to you actually before we even started today's episode that I had read a study and I can't remember the origin, but that it can, jaundice can actually lead to a reduction in septicemia. Yes. And I think the basis behind that is the fact that bilirubin can act as a natural antioxidant and also a natural anti-infection agent as well. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about what you can do, because I know as a parent, it could be really scary when you've got a newborn and then everyone's talking about jaundice and the complications. And I'm sure most parents will hit Google in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God, what do I do? And then you read the worst case scenarios. So as um, Afif has pointed out that the majority of neonatal jaundice can be very easily treated once it's picked up and uh, using an effective treatment. But we're going to talk about what you can do. So starting with the breastfed infant, it's basically breastfeeding as soon as you can and offering as many feeds um, as your 
baby indicates. So if you've got a very sleepy baby, because what I do find with a lot of infants that obviously are newborn, either way, they're quite sleepy. But if they've got any element of uh, jaundice, then they can even be more sleepy. So it's ensuring that you wake your baby for feeds if they are not naturally waking to do so. And getting as many feeds in during your 24 hours, switching breasts nice and frequently. Once the milk starts transitioning in between anywhere between day two and day five, start using your breast compressions that can increase the milk transfer from your breast to baby. It also remember the more milk your baby takes in, the more they digest it and break it down. And it passes then in those lovely uh, big black stools um, on day one. And then you'll start seeing the color transition from black tarry stools to greeny to yellowy mustard seedy stool where you've hit the jackpot. Um, feed your baby as often as possible. Frequent feedings, as we know, will help um, excrete bilirubin through their stools. Um, and then I know you were kind of querying this one, but placing your baby in sunlight. Now, this is just, I suppose, I don't know if there's research behind it or an old wives tale, but it was quite common years and years ago for babies to be placed outside in the direct sunlight. Now, obviously, if it's a very sunny day, we don't place any infant in direct sunlight, but being exposed to some daylight um, can improve. Yeah, and this is where I will jump in and possibly maybe disagree with you a little bit. There is um, a large kind of Cochrane review and the Cochrane review is um, a kind of organization that groups a lot of studies together that are done in a similar way to see if an intervention has an effect. And they have done a Cochrane review on baby exposure to sunlight to see if it would reduce bilirubin levels over the first few days of life. And when they put those studies together, they actually found that, yes, it does tend to reduce bilirubin at a level faster than placebo, meaning no exposure to sunlight. However, they only recommend this practice in um, low resource countries where phototherapy is not readily available. They sort of don't recommend putting the onus on parents to try and bring bilirubin down. And the reason I say that is that it's probably important for parents to seek advice from a healthcare provider on other ways to bring bilirubin down if it is a problem or to see if the jaundice is is problematic in itself was not. So don't leave your baby exposed under sunlight for prolonged periods of time. Make sure that your baby is never under direct sunlight. You need to protect the skin integrity. So that's what I would say about exposure to sunlight in the context of bilirubin. Um, And I suppose if you're ever concerned or if you've got a sleepy baby that isn't feeding very well and we spoke about the wet and dirty nappy output that we would expect for a newborn, depending on the age, um, that is really, really important. If they're not having enough, then you do need to link in with the public health nurse, the baby clinic or your GP or pediatric um, hospital, because that can make that can indicate that maybe your baby isn't taking in enough and they are not hydrated, which again will therefore impact the jaundice levels. It is really important as well that if you are uh, breastfeeding that you're linked in with your lactation consultant um, and if your baby is bottle feeding, looking at how long they're taking to feed a bottle. Are they taking 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour? Are they very prolonged? Are they not taking the amounts that we would expect them to be taking for that age range? And that is all something that if you have concerns, link back in with your um, healthcare provider. Yeah, it's great. And before we conclude, I just want to raise a couple of red flags that parents should watch out for, that if they see, they need to seek immediate medical attention. If you notice that your baby's urine color is becoming increasingly darker and darker, almost sort of blackish in consistency, and the stool's becoming paler and paler, almost this kind of pasty white color, which is fortunately rare, those are an indication that there is significant jaundice going on secondary to a serious condition that needs to be addressed immediately. So if you notice very 
dark urine and very pale stools in your baby, um, you need to uh, present for an assessment. Well said. I mean, Fief, who would have known that a whole uh, topic of conversation would ensue with regards to wet and dirty nappies with your uh, partner once you have your baby? Yeah, absolutely. So just to summarise, jaundice is common. It's generally temporary. It affects many newborns. Um, It can be easily treated with phototherapy and there are things that you can do to help prevent it. Remember to always follow your doctor's advice and trust your instincts as a parent. And you do not need to stop breastfeeding if your baby is does have jaundice. It's all about protecting and promoting milk supply. Great. So before we move on, a quick word from our sponsors. When choosing your antenatal care journey, you need a team that you can trust. Here at Evie, we offer personalised, multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment, ranging from consultant care high-end scanning and prenatal testing to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. Our team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynaecology and paediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact us today on 01 293 3984 or visit our website at evie.ie for more information. Evie, a game changer in antenatal care. Now, back to Fief's nerdy segment. And this one, actually, I have to say, I am intrigued with. I am really interested to hear all about it. Wow. So you're going to actually listen. I am listening completely, Fief. Okay. Do you want to guess what I'm going to talk about? What's my favorite topic that I always bring up? Well, I think on nearly three or four of these segments and nearly on every episode, we've we've spoken about gut microbiome. So my favorite microbiomes. So. I want to bring up microbiomes again, because there is an increasing recognition in the literature in that in order for the baby's gut to be colonized with healthy bacteria, and not only the gut, the skin, the respiratory tract, that they need to actually pass through the birth canal. In other words, mums need to have a vaginal delivery in order for the babies to be colonized with good bacteria. And babies that are delivered via cesarean section may miss out and being colonized by mum's good bacteria. So I actually have some hot off the press good news to mums that have C-sections. I think it's important to address this because we know that the rates of cesarean section worldwide are actually increasing. So I have good news for mums that have a cesarean section delivery because the group of researchers from the Netherlands have actually addressed this question. Do cesarean born babies miss out on essential microbes. And new evidence suggests that the answer may actually be no. So while cesarean section born babies um, do receive less of their mother's gut microbiome during the immediate kind of birth period, they make up for this by other means. Okay, so how did they look at this? First of all, we know that having a good healthy microbiome is important for baby's immune system and generally baby's growth and development. And if you remember from our previous conversations about microbiomes, we're talking about healthy bacteria that line the gut, that are present on the skin, the eyes, the nose, and also the respiratory tract in general. So like the inside of our nose, our windpipe, and also our lungs. What the researchers wanted to see was, is there a difference in the microbiomes between babies that are vaginally delivered versus babies that have had a cesarean section? So what the team did is look at 120 mothers from the Netherlands. And 
from the babies, they actually collected samples from the skin, from the nose, from the saliva, and from the gut. Two hours after they were delivered, at one day of age, at one week of age, two weeks of age, and also one month of age. And they did that to follow the change in the microbiome in those areas. They also collected six different types of microbiome samples from the mother. So they looked at the skin, breast milk, nose, throat, the vaginal and the bum area as well. And they wanted to determine which of these sources were actually seeding the baby's various microbiomes. In other words, they wanted to see where was the baby getting their bacteria from, from which part of the mum, uh, from the mum's body. And although they noticed a difference initially between the microbiomes of babies born vaginally versus babies born via cesarean section, they actually found that after cesarean section, good microbes can still reach the baby via other means other than being born through the birth canal, which I found was very, very interesting. So they found that good microbes can still reach the baby via skin to skin, via the respiratory tract, and also via being exposed to colostrum and breast milk. So breastfeeding it was a very important determinant of colonizing the baby's microbiome with good bacteria. So what they concluded and what they actually saw is that regardless of birth route, the researchers found that approximately 60% of a baby's microbiome is derived from its mother. So regardless whether you had a vaginal delivery or, or a cesarean delivery, 60% of your baby's bacteria is determined by you, which is pretty amazing. That is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And the interesting thing is they found different maternal microbe communities contributed to different infant microbiomes, meaning that cesarean section babies received fewer microbes from their mother's vaginal um, vaginal area, but in compensation, acquired more from breast milk and from skin to skin. So the message really would be that if you have a cesarean birth, it is still important to do early skin to skin with the baby because that transfers good bacteria between the mum and the baby. And it's important to start breastfeeding early. And even in situations where mums aren't breastfeeding or do not want to breastfeed for whatever reason, consider giving your baby colostrum because all mums will produce colostrum initially and you can express some colostrum initially and that may be a good way of introducing good bacteria to your baby's tummy. Wow that's really good and like I think that'll alleviate a lot of parents um, concerns and upset you know when they had hoped for a vaginal delivery and they end up going down a different path that their baby is still going to receive the microbiomes that they had hoped. Yeah and the interesting thing that the authors commented on is that do you remember I said they found that the maternal microbiome explains about 40% of the baby's microbiome. They are now doing further studies to see, well, where does the remaining 40% comes from? Does it come from the environment? Is it influenced by, you know, medical practices? So they're going to look and see whether it comes from the home environment, from the siblings and all of these things. Because ultimately what the researchers want to understand is how microbiome development relates to long-term health. I suppose that's the ultimate aim to see whether different microbiome profiles can affect long-term health in those babies. And I'd always wondered, like, will it be impacted by their ethnic origin? I'm sure, you know, diet, the environment, yeah. whether your sibling goes to creche or not, whether you have a sibling at all. I, th I think, you know, firstborns may have a different bacterial profile than secondborns, yeah. especially if you have a baby in creche bringing back 
everything work. back home. So, you know, it's it's very interesting. But I think it's a nice message to say that even if you have an cesarean section, you can still influence your baby's gut bacteria in other means. And skin to skin, as we always say, is so, it should be made such a priority for uh, newborn care. Yes, fantastic. So moving on to the final segment of this episode and parental questions. Okay, so we have a question from a parent saying that my baby is four days old. I think that my milk is only coming in now at four days um, after delivery. Do I need to top up my baby? Great question. Um, I think we really need to look at uh, a few things. So um, how the baby's weight gain is, how the wet and dirty nappies are, um, how significant the jaundice is. Are they at treatment level um, before we jump in and decide whether a top up is uh, is required? If your baby is having the adequate amount of wet and dirty nappies, the colour and consistency is correct. The weight loss isn't excessive. Your milk is now transitioning in. I would imagine that you can actually keep going with breastfeeding, but maybe if they are speaking or talking about top-ups that you could either hand express or use a pump um, and any extra milk that you get, you can give back as a top-up in that form without having to jump and move for um, the alternative of formula. So when it comes to it, you really need to make an informed decision regarding, um, I suppose, the pros and cons of bringing in a top-up. But breast milk should always be our first first choice of uh, top-up if we have it available to us. Yeah. And just to emphasize that jaundice, as I said earlier, normally peaks at around day four to five. So you may be seeing the peak near baby's levels. It's always important, though, if you are concerned, is to present back to your maternity hospital or to your public health nurse to arrange for a jaundice level to be checked to make sure that it's not exceeding the level at which it needs treatment such as phototherapy. Absolutely, Fief. Well said. Great. So this brings us to the end of this episode. Um, We hope that you stick with us till next time. So see you then. See you then.